You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. This is episode 54, and today we are so excited for our guest, Alicia. She is a local friend of ours and a prenatal yoga teacher, and oh my gosh, she's got quite the story. So before we get too far into her story, as usual, we have an exciting review that Julie is going to tell you about today. I am so excited. Megan, we just got this review on Facebook today. I actually took a screenshot of it and sent it to Megan because it made my heart so happy. So I'm going to read it because just because of that, because I can, and this is our podcast and I get to pick. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Today's Facebook review came from Adderless Taneo. And she says, I came across the podcast and website through Instagram, hoping for some resources for my VBAC. And I have to say, I owe my successful VBAC to you guys. I started listening from the very beginning at around 26 weeks pregnant, got the guts to change providers to a group of midwives at 32 weeks pregnant, and found the patience to wait for my labor to start spontaneously and the strength to wait until delivery, prodromal labor of four days, through the wonderful stories shared on the podcast. At one point, I was totally saying to myself, I am a woman of strength. Mm. I am already spreading the word on the wonderful work and knowledge you guys provide. Thank you for putting it all out there and I just want to say congratulations on your successful VBAC it makes us so happy gosh every time I hear someone tell us that their mantra during birth or during labor or something was like I am a a woman woman of strength strength. it like touches my heart it makes makes me me so happy yeah (laughs) you are tuned in to the VBAC link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton VBAC moms doulas and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a c-section Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. So welcome back, you guys. We were having a little chit chat right before we started the recording about henna. Have you, did you get henna then, Julie? I've gotten henna before. I didn't want a belly one. I didn't want a belly one either. I can't remember why I didn't want one, but I loved henna. I, I had henna designs on my hands and on my ankle. And I've been at um, like birth circles where um, henna artists come and do henna like on everybody that's in the circle cool. and then on the mom. And it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Alicia just Yay. learned how to do it the other day. You're going to have to come yes. do some VBAC link henna on us. <gasps> We're going to have to create like totally a special like mon- mandala or like a little special swirl dot pattern or something just for yes. us. Anything you want. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more. Tell us what you learned. If it's not, if it's okay. It's super cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I didn't realize how much there was to know about it. I really got quite the education. I just figured I could order some stuff off of Amazon and draw on my skin. But there was a lot more to it than that. And my awesome friend Raquel taught me how to make my own henna so that it's organic and non-toxic. And she taught me all kinds of cool tricks um, about getting it to set up right and how to keep it at the right temperature and some cool tricks about how to draw with it at different angles and um, how to roll my own cones, which was surprisingly the hardest part. I'm pretty wow. good at wrapping presents, but apparently that doesn't translate into rolling cellophane cones. 
Hmm. So, yeah, it was really fun. I had a great time. I've been drawing all over myself for the last three days. That's awesome. You can come draw mm-hmm. on me. <laughs> so how well, long? I need to practice. Yes. <laughs> how long does it typically last? Because I think mine lasted like a week before it was like really kind of not visible of like what it really was. How long does it last? It seems about right. I mean, I guess it depends on how dark it is and where it, it is. is. Mm-hmm. The one I did on my palm, on my hand, is almost gone already because they washed my hands so much. Yeah, yeah. So I think it just depends. Okay, yeah. So did she tell you how many people get it on their belly? Like how many bellies no. does she usually do? I'm always wondering. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I have didn't, no idea. I didn't want it on my belly because... Like, okay, it's all super cute and round, and then baby comes out, and then it's, like, not so cute and round. And so I was like, like, I just didn't want it on my belly because I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know if I'm going to like it. Not that it really even mattered, but that was one of the reasons why I just chose not to. Yeah, you know, it just never even occurred to me to do it. I was so caught up in everything else that having a belly blessing wasn't even on my radar, which is unfortunate. I wish I had done that. Mm-hmm. It's a cool thing. Yeah, it's super cool. Super cool. Well, exciting. We'll have to meet up with you and have you do it to us. But before we take up too much of the time talking about amazing henna, we want to get to (laughs) your amazing story, which consists of a breech baby that you had to try your hardest to get in a better position and dual care. And then, of course, your amazing home birth. Tell us a little bit more, too. We're excited to hear more about your sister, who we hear is just was super phenomenal during your journey. Both of them, really. Yeah, she really was. She was my guide, really, in so many ways. She had a major impact on my birth experiences. So, you know, the first pregnancy for me was, you know, we were excited. We wanted to have a baby, but I was, you know, just scared and full of fear and anxiety mm-hmm. and really hadn't given much thought to birthing itself. You know, it was kind of everything else that surrounded having a baby. And my sister had been down that road before, and she had lots of ideas that I thought were kind of wacky. Uh, Until about 20 weeks, when I realized that her wacky ideas were actually kind of good ideas, (laughs) and I liked her good ideas. It always starts out with a wacky idea. (laughs) Yeah, funny. So... I decided around that point that I maybe wanted to do a home birth. And she recommended a great midwife here locally. And I called her and, and she was kind of like, oh, you sweet thing. You know, I you have to call me like the day you have sex. You know, I've been booked for months. I and know I was who so exactly disappointed. you're talking about. <laughs> does it end yeah. with a W? Yeah. And yeah. With a W. Yeah. Is it, does her last name end with a W? Start with a W. You, Sorry, start with a W. With a w. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I know you're talking oh, about. Oh, we know. Yeah. I, call, I tried calling her too, and I was three weeks and five days pregnant, and she was already yeah, booked up. For real. Yep. It's crazy. <laughs> I had no idea. So um, I continued to see the OB I had been seeing, and I found another midwife group that I really liked and decided to start having care with them, but I didn't stop being my OB. And, you know, it was really interesting. It created, I think it created a lot of conflict for me, um, just having two really different viewpoints, mm. you know, kind of two different stories in my ear, 
all of the time. And the midwives were really sweet about it. They knew I was still seeing her. I didn't tell my OB I was seeing midwives. <laughs> so around 33 weeks, the OB told me that the baby was breech and wanted to schedule a C-section for like 38 weeks or 39 weeks. And I completely freaked out, of course, and started reading everything that the internet had to say about breech babies. And there's a lot out there. So I was, uh, you know, gorging myself on all of the information. And I decided at that point that maybe I should look in to an OB who would do a vaginal breech birth. And I found one, apparently like the only one at that mm-hmm. time where we live who would do that. So about 36 weeks, I transferred to start seeing that OB. Um, and I really liked him and it was a good fit and overall really good experience. And I continued to do all of the breach things to get this baby to flip around. I was doing the Webster technique with a chiropractor. I was doing moxibustion, burning all the things on my toes and everything spinning babies had to say. And I was doing hypnosis. At 37 weeks, we did an external version and it was not successful. We couldn't get the little guy to move. And the OB suggested that we do an MRI just to check out the pelvis. And I went through with that and and did the MRI and got the whole, uh, your pelvis looks a little small and we're not really sure. It looks kind of like a big baby. And, you know, maybe you have a 50-50 chance of delivering vaginally. And I decided again at 39 weeks to do another external version, Mm -hmm. uh, which also did not work. Um, I was sleeping upside down. I, I doing was it all. On the edge of the couch. I mean, I was doing all, you know, putting ice packs on my belly and using the flashlight, like all the stuff. But he was not moving. And finally, around 40 weeks, we did a vaginal check and there was nothing. They said no effacement, no dilation, no movement. He hadn't mm. dropped. And I really got pressured to decide, you know, what I wanted to do. So we left the appointment that day, my partner and I. And there was a beautiful park next to the hospital. And we went for a walk through the park and ended up drying on the back of the paperwork from our appointment, creating this graph, this matrix of pros and cons and you know, kind of trying to get all of our options out there to decide what we wanted to do. And, you know, I'll spare you all the details from that huge matrix, but eventually I arrived at the decision to do an elective cesarean. So we called, we called the doctor and let him know that's what we were going to do. And it felt really weird to me to pick the birthday It was like this big Mm -hmm. mind trip for me. So we asked the doctor to choose the birthday. And he was like, you know, Friday looks good. I got Friday open. So Friday was the day. And it just actually happened to turn out to be my husband's aunt who had passed a few years earlier. It was her birthday. Um, And we thought that was kind of sweet, kind of a sentimental date. It was like the one thing that gave us a little bit of solace and all of that. So... 
we prepared to welcome the baby and uh, my sister who was supporting me through all of this and sending me all the articles and everything she could find about breech babies and, you know, kind of being in my ear about like, oh, you know what they say about the 50-50 chance, you know what they say about, you know, those pelvic imaging and, and, you know, she had been there kind of, you know, asking me to do my research and really think about things and I wanted her to be there. So she came up from out of town. She was about five hours away where she did at the time. And in like a crazy twist of events, something happened with her daughter the night before and she had to go to the children's hospital. And so she was at the children's hospital. Everything turned out fine. um, She was at the children's hospital next door all night and then came over to meet us for our birth, our cesarean birth the next morning. And, you know, I was a hot mess. I was just stressed and shaking and totally nervous. And DOB was just really great and funny and, you know, lighthearted. The anesthesiologist was not great. Mm. And I did not know how much power the they anesthesiologist have. had. Yeah, a lot. And yeah. they hold a big role during your birth. Yeah. Like they're with you. And so to yeah. not have an anesthesiologist that you don't necessarily like, like that's that's hard. It was really hard. Um, you know, she wouldn't allow my sister to come in, which was shocking to me. I didn't know that that was even her call. So the whole thing was so confusing and frustrating. And, you know, they were with teaching staff and they were kind of talking amongst themselves and gossiping. They were making fun of a colleague who wanted to be present for my birth. And, you know, it, it was just kind of, I don't know, it was really hard to be going through that experience and getting, you know, preparing to meet my baby and having like this chatter in the background. Just a component of it that I was really surprised at. And I wondered why it maybe had never been mentioned that the anesthesiologist got to make those decisions. Anyway, I got to meet my babe, and mm. he was darling and so wonderful. And, um, you know, those first few hours after the birth were really hazy and blurry and, you know, trying to process the drugs and get everything out of my system. And um, I don't really remember that day, but I remember that night uh, holding him all night. We just stared at each other all night long. I didn't oh, sleep. That's sweet. And it was it was really amazing. It was sweet. And then the next day came and all the stuff that I didn't mm. know. Like still looking pregnant. And <laughs> oh, yeah. um yeah, no and I didn't know. I was really, really naive about a lot of stuff. And um, I didn't know that it could be really painful when your milk came in. You know, there was swelling and some pain from the cesarean. And, you know, the next few weeks were just really, they were a blur. And I hardly remember them at all. I ended up picking up an infection while I was in the hospital and had Mm. to go back in and was on antibiotics. And it was just kind of crazy. And by the time I got to my six-week appointment, six weeks, our insurance had changed, so I couldn't go see the OB that I had worked with, whom I really liked. I went in and just saw some random person that I had never met. 
And I remember sitting there filling out the postpartum depression checklist and just lying and, and marking, like, saying that I felt okay and, you know, not owning up to some of the checkboxes that probably should have been checked. Hmm. And, you know, it was really interesting to me because I definitely did not realize it at the time, but I was afraid to admit that I felt so bad. I was scared that they would, like, take the baby or that there was something wrong with me. And, you know, I think that's just a really interesting component of my story and one that I wanted to mention because, you know, over the next few months, I really spiraled downward into postpartum depression, and it didn't look the way I thought postpartum depression looked. Yep, me you either. Know, we kind of heard these stories of like, oh, you know, this crying woman that doesn't want to leave the house and is having a hard time taking care of her baby. You know, and there were there were certainly those components, but, you know, I didn't know that the insomnia and anxiety, like the constant worry, developing light sensitivity and sound and smell sensitivity, OCD behaviors. I think the most surprising was rage. Yep, I was so angry with mine too. Yes. And I, I had no idea that that was a sign of postpartum depression. I just thought I was a horrible person. Um, and I didn't want to talk to people about it. I didn't want to tell people because it was so scary to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess, you know, in the years since then, I think the conversation about postpartum depression has really improved. And we have so much more information and so many more resources out there. And I think that's wonderful. However, at that time, I was not accessing any resources and wasn't aware that I was really in such a bad situation and, you know, my partner was very patient and very supportive, thankfully. And my sister was very understanding and supportive. And I did a lot of yoga and kind of just struggled through it. And, you know, finally around you know, maybe like 18 months, things started to improve. And I could go to Costco again. <laughs> I started going to the park and the zoo and things were feeling so much better and I could see the light and I was enjoying my baby and then I weaned and bam, you know, that was really unexpected. I also did not know that um, depression and mood disorders could be a component of the weaning process. Yep. It was this backside, this big backside and finally, at this point, things really were bad enough that um, my husband reached out to the therapist and got me hooked up with a therapist. And, um, you know, at that point, there wasn't anyone around here that was really specializing in postpartum depression. And um, we have so many great resources now, people that are just specializing in maternal mental health. And that is really exciting, something to celebrate. Yeah. Anyway, I really committed to doing therapy. I really committed to my yoga practice and self-care, eating out, getting sunshine, good food, community. Things were getting a lot better. And I felt like I was really pulling through and starting to enjoy parenting and motherhood. And then and then I got pregnant. Um, and this was really a shock because we were not planning on having another one. My first experience was so hard for me that I 
just didn't want to do it again. And not necessarily the cesarean first alone. It was really the aftermath. It was kind of the way everything fell apart afterwards. And I yeah. just thought, you know, I, I don't ever want to do that again. And here I found myself doing it again. <laughs> so the day I took the pregnancy test, I tied on the bathroom floor for hours. And I finally wrapped my head around it. And the first person I called was the midwife. <laughs> Gotta get <laughs> on her books. Seriously. The second you find out you're pregnant. <laughs> I called her and... It was really funny. She was like, ooh, maybe I can fit you in. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like a second pregnant. You're like, How are you already yeah, <laughs> I hardly had a second to breathe before I called you. <laughs> I mean, even called my husband. <laughs> yeah. So, That's what you yeah, got to do really with crazy. that one. Yes, she yeah. is pretty busy. So luckily, I was able to get in with her. And I knew, I knew in that moment that I would have a home birth. I didn't know at that time it was actually a thing, an HVAC. I, I didn't know that this was a whole thing. And I jumped in to learning everything I needed to learn. Uh, the midwife was really amazing and supportive and, and pointed me to some good resources. And I started to research everything I could find about VBAC. And you guys weren't around then. Dang <laughs> it. It been really awesome. Dang us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it would have been so cool. So I looked, um, ICANN was around. Yes. And I researched everything I could with ICANN. I did a lot of research on NCBI um, and, and the NIH website. And I read some great books. I read and reread some great books, some Inamaze books and the birthing from within. I really committed to working with my therapist to work through the trauma from the first birth. It had really, it had come up that um, a lot of my mood disorders were rooted in um, being an abuse survivor. And it had really sort of triggered a lot of past trauma and PTSD. And mm -hmm. we did a lot of really important good work to help me prepare for another birth. Yoga. Oh, so much yoga. Mm -hmm. All of the yoga. I actually, during this time, ended up signing up for a teacher training, which is just a whole other rabbit hole we won't go down tonight. Really committing to eating healthy um, having a better diet than I did the first time. Ironically, I gained the exact same amount of weight, even though I ate and exercised much healthier the second time. Go figure. <laughs> um, and then art, all kinds of art. I did all of the vagina art. I drew them. I painted <laughs> them. I decorated yes. them. They were everywhere. So... One of the other things that was really important to us for preparing is that we didn't tell a lot of people that we were going to have a home birth. Mm. Our midwife had a birth center, and if people asked, we just would tell them we were going to do it in a birth center. And that was really important to me because I didn't want to get into um, negative conversations or, you know, even being a place where I was questioning my decision um, because I felt so at peace with it and so clear about it. And along that path, our midwife is also really supportive. I think one of the things I really liked about her care and her style 
is that I was never really sure what her personal opinion was about things. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was actually it the was, backup midwife for my third VBAC because my midwife was in Alaska. She's amazing, though. Mm-hmm. She's she's spunky. Yeah, I like she's, her. She's, she's awesome. She's, <laughs> she's pretty hilarious. Yep. Um, and very, very, um, I, I, just not at all what I expected. Which really is why you have to person. book with her when you're trying to get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. It's, it is really true. But I love that, it, you know, I never was really sure what her opinion was. She was also, um, she was good about providing the facts mm-hmm. and pointing me toward information and really helping us arrive at our own decisions. And that was very empowering. I, I never felt scared about our decisions. I always felt really confident about our choices, and I think that had a lot to do uh, with her confidence and her faith in the process. So uh, that was a major part of being positive for us. Anyway, so around 37, 38 weeks, he was for sure head down, which I do credit meditation and making some radical changes in my yoga practice it may or may not have had anything to do with that but I credit that yeah and she came over to deliver the birth tub and it got real you know Mm -hmm. like it really got real yeah so I called my sister and asked her to come again and be with me again and again she's still living five hours away and had two little kids, and the week of my due date, her partner had a major work event all that whole week, and she was a little anxious about, like, how she would work that all out. So at 40 weeks, I started telling my little guy that he needed to wait until Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) And I just kept telling him, please wait until Saturday. Saturday would be so good. And please don't come before Saturday. I really want my sister to be here. So on Saturday, it was time to put our toddler to bed, and he was super excited to meet his brother. He just kept asking for his brother to come out, Aww, and um, he's a little he's a little tight, uh, totally into dinosaurs, roaring at my belly, trying to scare the baby out. I sat down in the rocking chair, and before I even knew it, he roared and jumped onto my lap. And I heard a pop. <gasps> Water! <laughs> Yay! We know what that means. <laughs> and my husband must have seen my eyes get huge because mm-hmm. he picked them right up. And, and you know, I, I went up and went to the bathroom, and it was like nothing. There's just like a little trickle, and I was like, you know, it's crazy because that pop, I felt it in my ears. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it was a pop, but nothing really. So we read books and put him to bed, and I texted the midwife, and she asked me, are you sure you didn't just pee a little bit? And I thought, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I did, but I heard the pop. So I went down into the basement where we had the birthing space set up and was sort of nesting around and moving things here and there. And sat down for a minute on the futon and pop water everywhere. Mm -hmm. Undeniable, for sure. So I called the midwife this time, and she says, are you sure it wasn't just a little pee? (laughs) I said, no, I'm so sure it wasn't, 100% sure. 
And the futon mattress knows also that that was not the case. <laughs> so luckily I'd already covered it with a waterproof mattress. Best and, investment you'll ever uh, make. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My husband's grateful for the $100 mattress cover we bought because my water broke in bed twice, too. <laughs> yes, a lifesaver. I'm glad we did that. We talked about it, no contractions. They call back when they start. So I didn't know what to do. I made my husband go to the store for a bunch of completely random stuff, including another waterproof mattress cover, which I don't know why, because I could have just like clean that one off I don't know nasty pads a whole list of really random things that I didn't necessarily need uh, when he got home I was definitely freaking out and he suggested we should go for a walk which we did we went out for a little walk and it was at this point I realized like I was really scared and I was kind of shocked because I had done so much work and so much preparation that the fears that were coming up were, they really kind of rattled me. And I just started blurting out everything I was afraid of and this huge list of all these fears I was having, including, you know, if I died, I really didn't want him to say this one particular person and I made him swear that he would not if anything happened. And, you know, he still laughs about that today. Um, I really showed my cards on that one. But uh, if he was rattled, I didn't know it because he just stayed so calm and held me while I cried it out. And, you know, it was a beautiful fall night while we were standing there hugging. There's this gorgeous evening sky. The sun had set. And there was a great big, huge white crescent moon in the sky and I just I felt really calm and we went back inside and the contraction started and I was surprised again because the first time I had experienced Braxton Hicks contractions but never an actual laboring contraction Mm -hmm. and it was different it was a lot different they started you know, they started picking up pretty quick. So I called the midwife, and she asked about timing, um, you know, all the, all the details, all the right questions. And I finally just said, well, when are you coming over? <laughs> and she said, well, why don't you call me when you're not having fun anymore? <laughs> and... Like yeah, sounds about like her. <laughs> <laughs> I can see She's her great. saying that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, that's her style. I didn't think it was very funny at the moment. Of course um, not. <laughs> no, I was like, but I'm not having fun right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I decided I would wait that out and see what she meant. As soon as I got the phone with her, I called my sister and said, okay, like for real, I really want you to come. It's Saturday. I know your husband's home. And she said, okay. And she loaded up her little family and started driving here at mock speed in the middle of the night. And so I paced, and I paced, and I paced, and I had purchased all the ingredients to bake a birthday cake during this time. This was a part of my agenda. And I did not bake a birthday cake. I had no interest in baking a birthday cake. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. The midwife suggested I sleep, 
and I have mad respect for anyone who can sleep through contractions. I'll just say that. I don't know how that it's is really hard. It's really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, whoever can do that, like, way to go. That's awesome. So I just moved stuff around, I think. Uh, just moved things around the house at random. Around 1 a.m., I was definitely not having fun and called the midwife. So she arrived a little while later, around 1.30, and just like magic, the birth tub was blown up and filled full of warm water, and it was amazing, and I was so happy to see it. And just a little while later, my sister and her little family arrived, and when, you know, the the kids, um, the men and the kids all went upstairs and got situated for bed, and she joined us. And the labor was really intense, and there was a lot of throwing up, which I think I had heard, but I didn't really consider as a reality, I think. I was worried about other stuff. I think I was mostly worried about pooping in the birth tub, and so everything else kind of faded away. But there was a, there was a lot of throwing up. There was, I had a playlist, a great playlist I spent a lot of time on, and I didn't want to listen to any of that. And apparently I listened to the same really annoying piece of music for a long time over and over again until I was very kindly asked to change it. (laughs) And around 6 a.m., I had to get out of the water to do antibiotics. I was group B positive. So it took a lot of coaxing to get me out of the birth tub. And she wanted to do a check at that point. She didn't see anything, so I asked. And she said, well, you know, I don't think you are going to like what I'm going to tell you. You're, you're at about a four, maybe a five. Oh, that's the worst news ever. Yeah, time stood still. Like, time stood still. And then I started doing birth math. And according to my calculations, I would have the baby in four more days. So I got very mad. And I got very mad. I decided to go to the shower at this point. I didn't want to get back in the tub. So I moved into the shower. And the sitting in the shower, I remember them chatting just outside the door of the bathroom. And something just came over me, and I growled. I don't even know whose voice came out of my body, but I told them no talking, no sound, no more. And it got very quiet. (laughs) Yeah. And I was in there for a while. Uh, I really couldn't get comfortable, though, decided to head back to the tub. So once back in the birth tub, the contractions really picked up. They were coming, I felt like they were coming back to back with no breaks. And uh, I don't know how long it was, but at one point I heard the midwife say, do you hear that? It sounds like you're ready to meet your baby. Oh, that's the best feeling. Yeah. (laughs) I must have looked really confused because she had to tell me that I was pushing. Mm. That's literally what happened to me. (laughs) I was like, what? Like, I was looking around thinking, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? This can't be me. It can't be me that you're saying I'm ready to push a baby out. (laughs) Who's pushing? (laughs) You're pushing. You're pushing. 
And she was so amazing at helping me slow it down and not push too hard, reminding me about how the action moves back and forth and to let him come gently, which I did not appreciate at all at the time. I was super annoyed with her. I just wanted her to shut up. I just wanted to get the baby out. But in retrospect, I'm really, really grateful that she was able to help me stay on top of it and help me stay in a good position for it. And so at one point she asked me to reach down to see if I could feel his head, and I could. And it was amazing. And in the excitement or the panic or something, I stood up out of the water. No. And I had to finish the last push or two while I was standing. Mm. And, you know, it was amazing. I pulled him up to my chest and at some point was able to sit back down in the birth tub and cried in shock and awe and gratitude and shock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't really remember getting out of the water. I do remember really quickly laying down on the and nursing him for the first time and just just crying, just like streams of tears just pouring out of my eyes. And he was born around 7.30, a little after 7.30. So, you guys, that was like an hour and a half from when we did the check. It went really, really fast that last hour and a half. Uh, The kids were just waking up upstairs, coming down for breakfast. Oh, my gosh. And it was a really, it was so sweet. It was such good training. They got to come down and meet him. And our oldest son, he was just such a little guy, was, really scared at first. I think it must have been quite the scene. And then he didn't want to leave his side. He just was so in love with his little brother. And the morning was beautiful. My sister made us homemade cinnamon rolls, and she made me an extra special placenta smoothie. And luckily, I've never been asked to repay that favor because I'm sure that was quite an effort for her to do that for me I've done I've done it before (laughs) yeah apparently she didn't love it but she did it for me and she's really the best and we called our families we had a little bit of explaining to do (laughs) that we were at home with the Mm. baby but everyone was excited my best friend came to see us when we called my husband's parents we realized it was his grandmother's birthday, her 102nd birthday. She's so white. Oh, my gosh. So, I know. Both of our boys ended up being born on really special days in the family. And, you know, that night I got to go to sleep in my own home in the room where he was born. And, you know, I just, I didn't want it to end. It was so magical. It was just hands down the best day of my life. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Love it. I 
I just like I can like picture you just like standing up like <laughs> oh what a fun yeah. moment like for like no maybe not in the very moment but like you're like <laughs> yeah. whoa this is happening oh yeah, I don't I don't even know what why why I did that but she's like oh no now you have to stay standing it's the maternal instinct you just mm-hmm. you do what your body needs yep. and and what it tells you to and that's exactly what you did so yeah 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 well i love it i love your story and it just seems like the stars aligned so perfectly with even just like you know you go outside and everything's okay and then you walk in and labor starts like it's just so amazing how labor how labor starts and and ends you know Mm -hmm. all the perfect right times so you um we want to talk a little bit about dual care um fun fact i actually did some dual care with my VBAC um after two c-sections as well so do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about your experience with dual care like how did it feel how did you you know like i don't know talk talk about it tell me what you think you know it was it was really interesting for me. I didn't really intend to have dual care. It was, I think, coming from a place of fear for me, where mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to commit to the midwives, and I, I sort of was just walking both sides. I, in retrospect, I don't think it was a great idea because the particular OB I was with was definitely not in the same frame of mind mm, okay. that the midwives were in as far as her approach and let's see, how do I say it? You know, <laughs> I just didn't feel like my desires were, you know, the things I wanted, like an unmedicated birth or wanting to try for a vaginal breech birth. I just felt like I was really kind of scoffed at a little bit. Mm. You know, like, oh, well, you know, the odds of that are not very good. Or I just, it just didn't feel very supportive. I think in some situations, dual care can be a really good idea. But in my particular situation, I I don't think it worked because of the particular provider. And, you know, I, I guess I don't really know what else to say about that. It wasn't anything I really intended to do. I, I wonder if things would have gone differently had I committed 100% to the midwife group. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that is, I kind of like that we're talking about this a little bit because with dual care, it can go both ways. You can, and I think it's hard because when you have one supportive provider and then one provider that's not so supportive, you're kind of being tugged in two different directions. And so it's so important that if you do do dual care if that's a lot of da da does <laughs> but <laughs> if you choose to have dual care it's so important that that provider both providers are within the fits of your birth views and desires and with yeah. mine you know i i chose mid pregnancy to change my plan of care and my midwife worked with another OB and she's great and everything, but I kind of already had this really good relationship with my other provider, the one I was switching from. 
And so when I went to go tell him, it's so funny. I always say it like this, but I feel like I went to go tell him that I was going to cheat on him <laughs> because yeah. I just loved him so much. I, I really do. I, I just love him as a human. He's amazing. But I, you know, I went in and I said, hey, like, this is how I'm feeling. And it's nothing. It really like it's not you. It's me. That whole thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a little interesting. Um, but it, I mean, it really was like I really felt that I needed to be somewhere else. And he I was so worried. I was so worried, you guys. I was sweating. I called my doulas before. I was like, I'm on my way to his office. Like, I don't know what he's going to say. And he just totally blew me out of the water. And, you know, obviously he said he wanted to to have me stay and he felt better with me there. But at the same time, he said, you know what? If that's the way you feel, though, I want to support you and I will be here for you if you need me. And that was such an important factor for me and for a couple weeks even after that like I continued to go to his office and I continued to go to my midwife's office until everything was officially transferred but yeah I I really enjoyed my experience but like you said like if you don't have that provider that is on your side on both ends it's mm-hmm. it can really affect it can affect things yeah absolutely yeah and paying attention to the motivation for it too which I think you know, as I hear you talking about it, it, it got really clear for me that you know, my motivation wasn't that I wanted to keep working with DOB necessarily. It was just really out of fear, you know, and yeah. out, of, out of really not being sure that I was making a good decision, jumping into the home birth thing halfway through. Yeah, I think, you know, if the relationship had been different, I could see how it could have been really beneficial and supportive. And I think my motivation in it was just a a fear-based motivation, which, you know, not always the best place to to work from. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Totally. Well, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story. And I, I just love it. I love every story because they're so unique. They're so different. And yet they're all so empowering. Yep. Super empowering and so healing to be able to have that experience. I can say for sure that that second birth experience allowed me to really come full circle and heal from my first birth experience. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really grateful. And I'm really grateful that you ladies are doing this so oh, that <laughs> people can, can hear these stories and know that it's possible and that it's beautiful. It is. It is. It's amazing. And we love it. We love this journey. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.